We praise him because he overcame death. And he can also, because of that, overcome your sins. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, be encouraged. You can know him. He's done all the work necessary. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. This is our third week in two verses. But as you see, um, they, are all, they are also worthy of this much time, in my opinion. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? This is the word of God. Church, you can be seated. Father, we ask for your help during this time. We need your help to be rightly focused on the truth, and to be all here right now. Lord, our minds will be tempted to wander at this time, Lord, just as our souls are sometimes tempted to wander away. Lord, we know that you have keeping power to keep our souls, and we pray that for the next 30 to 45 minutes that you will, you will also have keeping power to keep our attention on the truth of the Word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do His work to convict some of sin Maybe someone needs to be forgiven in one of our hearts, or maybe a sin needs to be repented of in one of our hearts. Maybe also there's a word that you want to speak to us, a word of obedience, something that you want us to walk in obedience to. Please, Lord, please help us to focus and hear your voice. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we started off this three sermons that we are going to be able to pull out of this text. We start off by, as you recall from two weeks ago, we talked about the crime of the false prophets because it says they prophesied falsely. That was their crime. Then last week we talked about the crime of the uh, priests, the fake priests, the crime of the false prophets, the crime of the fake priests, and today, we're going to focus on the part that says, my people have love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? So I've titled this one, the crime of the fickle people. Now, what does that word fickle mean? Well, it means unstable. It can mean uncertain, but it specifically means likely to change. These people were fickle in that they were tossed around by every wave of doctrine, as we're told in the New Testament, people so often like this are. They just went after whatever their passions wanted, and they found teachers to accommodate that. So we're going to talk about that being a crime as well, because these are all indictments that Jeremiah is told to bring against the people of his day, false prophets, fake priests, and fickle people, of which we have the same in our day. This is why this book is so applicable. So please listen closely this morning. When I was studying this, the part, my people love to have it so, I asked myself the question, why did they love to have it so? What was it that made them love to have prophets prophesying falsely and priests ministering fakely? Why did they love that so much? And I started thinking about different portions in Scripture where we see false prophets and where we see fake priests. 
What were they doing? And what were they saying? And why did they have such an audience? Well, the first place I was thinking about is actually in 1 Kings. I want to take you to different places in the scriptures and just let the scriptures give us the examples that we need. Because the scriptures already answered this question for us. Why did the people love it so? 1 Kings 22, verses 1 through 12. This is after the kingdom's already been split. So you have the kingdom of Judah, you have the kingdom of Israel. There's two different kings, one king from each region, talking together in this section. It says this, For three years Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the kings of Israel, and the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. See, Jehoshaphat, being a king of Judah, you have to remember there were more good kings in the southern kingdom than there were in the northern kingdom. Actually, it was very easy to beat the northern kingdom because they had zero good kings. None of them were good. And so there were a few that were good in the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat was one of those that was, we could say, pretty good. He wasn't bad. He wasn't great. But he was pretty good. And so he says, let's inquire of the Lord first. See, he's bringing up God. Verse 6, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, 400 prophets. Wow. And said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain and they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? <laughs> Jehoshaphat's not so convinced. He wants another opinion. Like you get other opinions from doctors sometimes. He's saying, I don't know about this. Is there, are there any other prophets that we can ask? Verse 7. Verse 8, I'm sorry, that was verse 7. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. His name is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Well, I wonder why that is, king of Israel. Probably because you're wicked. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. He's basically saying, don't talk like that about him. Verse 9, the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, a son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, that's one of the prophets, son of Cheniah, made for himself horns of iron. So he's got these horns of iron in his hand. And he says, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. So, to answer our question, 
One reason people love false prophets is because they will tell them what they want to hear. That they can be wicked and still get what they want. You see, if you keep reading in that section, the other prophet comes along and basically says, no, it's going to go badly with you. You're not going to win. God's going to judge you. But he didn't want to hear him. He didn't want to hear that. See, these false prophets tell you that you can ignore truth. You can live in sin. Run after the wicked desires of your heart. And God will still be with you. That's what the king wanted to hear. That's what the false prophets told him. And he loved it. He loved to have it that way. But the scriptures also told us something that he hated. Remember when it said he hated? He hated the man who told him the truth, didn't he? He said, there is one other man, but I hate him. Because he only ever prophesies bad things about me. He hated the man who spoke the truth, but he loved those who told him, You can have whatever, you can do whatever your sinful heart wants to do, and God is still with you. Let's look at a second reason from Scripture. That's the first reason. Let's look at a second reason. A second reason is actually found in our same book, Jeremiah. Very next chapter, chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. God's giving us a bit more here about what the prophets say. Because we don't actually get what they're saying in our passage. We just get that they're prophesying falsely. So here, we actually get a little bit, a very little bit of what they're saying. But it's enough. It's enough to show us who they really are. Are Jeremiah 6, verses 10 through 14. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? This is God pronouncing judgment. Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. He's talking about his people. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gathering of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Now he talks here about the prophet and the priest, what they're saying. Verse 14. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So number one, we saw why the people love it so, was because the false prophets tell them that they can live like they want and still get what they want. Number two here for us, even though God promises judgment for sin, the false prophets and the faith priests Say, peace, peace. The false prophet and the fake priest together are telling the people, 
By the way, the people in this text that we already learned, they already despise the word of God. Did you see that? It says the word of the Lord to them and is an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. They already can't stand the truth. They don't like the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They take no pleasure in the word of God. They don't want to hear it. They're telling the people that they didn't have to believe what God was saying about judgment. You're fine. Everything's going to be fine for you. There'll be peace for you. Don't worry. No judgment, no punishment. We hear that in our day. We hear all this in our day. It's all very applicable, very normal even for what we're experiencing in our day too. Men have not changed much. God's definitely not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But those who were supposed to be representing God to the people were telling the people the opposite of what God actually said. Those who were supposed to be representing God to the people were telling the people the opposite of what God had said. God had said, This is sinful. This damns your soul. This separates you from me. This will bring judgment upon you because it's evil. Turn from it or my wrath is coming. And they did it for years and years and decades and decades. And so God finally says, a nation is coming to invade you. In the streets there'll be death. Husbands and wives taken. Even the aged and the children will fall. And the false prophets and the priests come out and they say, no, 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 that's not right. Everything's fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Trust us. After all, we're priests and we're prophets. You can trust what we say. And of course, sinful man likes it this way. Because they were hearing... You can be religious and therefore check the religious box off for the week so you feel good about yourself. And you can also do all those sinful things that your sinful heart wants to do. And you can still have all those things that your sinful heart wants to have. And lastly, you don't have to worry about judgment either. You can ignore what the Bible says. You already ignore it anyway. We're here to help you feel better about it. That's their message. But what about what God says? The false prophets and the priests were saying, you can believe what we say. But what about what God says? What about what God has already made clear in his word? This authoritative, unbending word that Moses brought down with stones, originally this moral law, engraved in stone by the hand of God, showing it doesn't change, it doesn't bend, it can't be erased by man. God's already made it perfectly clear. What about honoring God? What about honoring what God has said and doubting what man has said instead of the other way around? Did this continue on? 
in the New Testament? Because what we know did happen was the Babylonians did come, just like God said they would. The false prophets and priests, surprised, they were wrong. There wasn't peace. There was calamity because God said there would be because of the continual, persistent, hard-hearted rebellion of his people to totally ignore what he says. And so what he said would happen if they continued in that state actually happened. Who knew that when God says something's going to happen, it actually happens? Go figure. These people continued to doubt it up until the time. But it did happen. So what do we get in the New Testament? Did the people learn from this? Did the people look on and say, ooh, we should, we should not be like our ancestors. We should not be like our forefathers. We should learn from this. Did they learn from it? Did they also love to be surrounded by people that told them what they wanted to hear, that they could do what they wanted to do? Let's see. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a young minister named Timothy. In chapter 4, he says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. What charge? Because that's quite the buildup. That's quite the buildup to this charge, wasn't it? So what charge is it? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructing. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Nothing much has changed, right? Even in our day. There's plenty of false prophet and plenty of fake priest who you can just handpick, who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Do you have a certain sin that you like? Do you have a certain sin that the Bible condemns, but you like? There's a false prophet for you. Do you want to be able to walk in some sinful thing that you really like doing, but that the Bible says is bad? There's a fake priest for you too. He will sprinkle something on you and say, te absolvo, which is Latin for I absolve you. There's plenty of them out there. How many false prophets were living in the land of Israel and prophesying to the king of Israel in the section that we just read in Kings? 400. How many true prophets were there that we knew of? One. Not much has changed today either. There's a plethora, a host, an ocean of false prophets and fake priests. And you can have your pick. He will tell you or she will tell you what you want to hear. So not much has changed because Paul tells Timothy, they're coming. Get ready. Get ready. You, Timothy, preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist, he says. 
Spread the gospel and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Notice he also throws in there this, though. Endure hardship. Church, if you think that you're going to be able to stand on this truth unashamedly and consistently and boldly and not be hated, then you're not following the Jesus of this book because Jesus even had that example. He was perfect. Are you perfect? Everything that came out of his mouth was pure scripture. Is everything that comes out of your mouth pure? We strive to be like him, of course, but what I'm saying is if they hated a perfect man and killed him, he even said, you can expect the same thing. So don't think it's strange when the world hates you. Don't think it's strange when you're the only Christian at your workplace. Don't think it's strange when you are maybe the only Christian at your school, whatever it might be. It was 400 to 1 back in the day of the kings. And it's not too dissimilar in our day. Our text ends, though. Our text in Jeremiah ends with a question. Did you notice that? He says, my people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? Of course, he's not necessarily referring to the end like the final day of judgment when you stand before God in the afterlife. He is more referring to when the end comes through the hand of the Babylonians, when they come and destroy you. The principle does apply to the end as well, the end that all men face. The Bible says it's important to man once to die and after this the judgment. These false prophets and these fake priests, they're very short-sighted. You ever heard of a short-term gain, long-term loss? Ever heard of that phrase, short-term gain, long-term loss? Well, this is just how the devil tempts us to act. This is just how the false prophets and the fake priests priests were acting as well. See, the devil makes us only focus on a short-term pleasure that we will get from our sin while doing his best to divert our attention away from the fact that judgment is coming to all men in the end. That's his game he likes to play which is why the fake priests and the false prophets also act similarly because they are empowered by a deceitful spirit. This is their character as well, according to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ points out that this is their character. Do you want to see where he points that out? Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Matthew 7 15 through 20. Look at this. Jesus says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You know what that means? It means you are supposed to look at someone's life and make moral assessments. Jesus tells us to. You'll know them by their fruits. Oh, so that means I'm supposed to look at their life and make assessments? Well, the world calls that judging. The world says, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just obeying scripture. He tells me to look at someone's life and make moral assessments. That's not judging, which by the way, this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Guess what Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says? Judge not that you be not judged. That's the one they love to quote at you, don't they? 
Keep reading, same chapter. He says, look at people's lives and make moral assessments. So if looking at someone's life and making a moral assessment is judging, well, then Jesus totally contradicted himself. No, what he means in 7 verse 1 means don't look down at your nose at people and say, I'm better than you. Look at the difference. I'm up here, you're down there. I'm better than you. That's what he's saying, don't do, because that is sinful. That's prideful, arrogant. He says, look at people's lives and make moral assessments. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You don't go to weeds and expect fruit. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. He calls the prophets diseased trees. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Look at this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. The Bible tells us what the fruits of the Spirit are. What the fruits of those who are following Jesus are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things. You know what the fruits of the false prophets are? The fruits of the false prophets are egotism, greed, selfishness, self-centeredness, sinfulness. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a lot of me, me, sinful things and greed, greed. That's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. I'm telling you right now, that's what it's going to be. And he's saying, look at their lives. You see that? See love of money, love of self, big ego, pride, fits of rage. Congratulations. You found one. You'll know them by their fruits. But here's the thing. These false prophets are, of course, very religious. These fake priests are very religious. Look at this next part. They're very religious, but when the end comes, this is what's going to happen. Jesus just said, what the Lord just said to Israel, but what are you going to do when the end comes? Well, this is what happens when the end comes for false prophets and fake priests. Look, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me ask you this. How do you know God's will? Really, where do you go to find out what God wants, what God doesn't want, what God loves, what God hates? Where do you go to find out about God? The Bible, right? You go to the scriptures, the only source for how we know ultimately anything true about our God So, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven, those who are living according to the word of God, those who are consistently focused on the word of God, those who get their marching orders from the word of God. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, watch this, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you Depart from me. Look at this. You workers of lawlessness. He points out why they're not getting in. You were lawless. You didn't follow my law. You didn't care about my law. You didn't care about living a righteous life. You didn't hate your sin and love God. 
You didn't do that. Sure, you love doing these, these, these big things, in my name even, but you didn't know me, and therefore I didn't know you. This shows it's possible to be religious, but not righteous. Church, listen to me. It's possible to be religious and not righteous. This shows it's possible to know about God, but not actually be known by God. It's possible to know about God, but not be known by God. We're almost done. Remember how the voices in Jeremiah's day were saying, no judgment, peace. What you're being told is going to happen is not going to happen. You're fine. Keep doing what you're doing. and Keep doing what we're doing. Remember how the voices were saying that you can do everything your sinful heart wants to do. What I'm about to show you, there are some sort of old clips from a few decades ago, but they're still definitely of our era, of our time. All these men, if I'm not mistaken, except for Larry King Live, I mean, except for Larry King, rather, who shows Larry King Live, because I think he's, he's already passed. But all these people are still with us. And these are some older clips referring to things like the attack on 9-11 and gay unions. But let's see if much has changed from what these voices sort of sound like and what the voices in the Bible sort of sounded like. John, do you question it? I mean, do you question whether there is a God? I don't question whether there is a God. I don't even question what God chooses to allow. Um, it's not a matter of my opinion. Uh, as a Bible teacher and one who believes that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, Scripture tells us that God is absolutely sovereign. Larry, I wanted to ask your panel if uh, these hijackers are in heaven or hell right now. Rabbi Kushner, where are they? Well, I feel a little bit excluded by that last statement, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I've got problems with hell. I, I have trouble believing in a God who would send people to eternal damnation. I might be prepared to do it. I'd rather think God is beyond that. I think they're not in heaven. I think heaven is reserved for people who've lived a good life. I think they have simply disappeared. They had dreams of an afterlife. They had dreams of pleasure and praise and being welcomed and all that. And I don't think they are anywhere. They are non-existent, and that's the best thing that can happen to them. Deepak Chopra, where do you think they are? Larry, I don't know where they are. Only God knows where they are. But I have a problem with some of your panelists. Because I don't think Christ was a Christian, I don't think Buddha was a Buddhist, and I don't think that Muhammad was a Mohammedan. I think it's just that kind of thing that says only the way of Jesus is right, then the others say only the way of Muhammad is right, only the way of Buddha is right, only the way of Krishna is right. We have sacrificed a universal being and created a tribal chief with our gods, and that's the problem. John? Yeah, I, I just don't think... Uh... Uh, all due respect, that uh, Deepak is the authority on that. I don't think uh, Rabbi Kushner is the authority either. Nor I don't think I'm the authority. Well, where are you going to go? You have to go to an authoritative book. And that is? The Bible. Back to the question about God, again, uh, I hear all these responses, but we have to go back to some authority outside of ourselves. I mean, I can't define God for the universe from starting with me. 
uh, God in the scripture is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the sovereign over everything things, right? who in, was incarnated in Jesus Christ, came down to die on a cross to provide atonement so that the sins of those who repent were paid for in full and therefore heaven was open to them. I'm a, I'm a practicing Catholic. I got married in the church two plus years. Uh, I don't see what we're doing in terms of advancing the bond of love and monogamy and extending that to families, families of same sex, in any way, shape, or form, takes away anything from the church or the sanctity of the union that my wife and I have. I would just like to ask the mayor as a practic practicing Catholic, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Yeah, look, Pastor, I'm not going to get in a theological debate with you. That no, would that's be not a theological debate. That's just a straight question. Do you believe the Bible is the authoritative Word of God? Yeah, I, I, with respect, I guess I do. Now the response. Well, then the Bible says when God created man, he said one man, one woman, cleave together for life. That's a family. Jesus in the New Testament reaffirms that. All the writers of the Old and the New Testament affirm it. Um, adultery, bestiality, homosexuality was punishable by death according to the Old Testament law because it was so serious in those early years because it literally shattered the hope of civilization. Well, the, the New Testament offers us, of course, grace. Those sins are sins. They are forgivable. Jesus died to redeem us from those sins. We're all sinners. You don't want to categorize well, sin. What does the state have to do but with it? But the point at this juncture right. is, well, he's representing the state. He's That's coming back and saying, I'm a Catholic, and I'm a Catholic, and somehow this fits into my Catholicism. And I'm saying, well, what's your authority then? I'm back to the bottom line, which is that kind of a union is sinful before God. And, uh, but as the acts of they're doing are not sinful. They're raising two children who didn't people didn't want. That's a wonderful yeah. thing. That's do, the right? good part. But it, the context in which that happens is a context that advocates and flaunts the sin of homosexuality. Which even, is but even if, if that's the case, even if that is the case, and listen, we'll all find out at the end of the day, can't we let God decide that? Well, God has already decided that. I mean, it, it's in the Word of God. It's unmistakably clear then in the Bible. Then what are we so worried about? What are we so scared about? Why, why all this trouble to, to prevent me from being able to accept these privileges while I'm here, well, if God will ultimately take care well, of it? Let me, let me answer that personally. Please. Because the Bible says in no uncertain terms that no homosexual or adulterer will ever inherit the kingdom of God. Why is there so much then conflict, do you think, in the Christian community? Well, so much debate. I, Maybe we, need to, maybe, we need to go, yeah, maybe we need to go back to the Bible and see what the Bible actually says. And so it's not much different, is it? I mean, all these voices saying one thing, and then finally, gratefully, a voice coming out and saying, let's get back to what God says in the Bible. I don't know if you noticed that. He kept going back to, what's your authority? What's your authority? What's your authority? And it's not what I think. It's about what God says. Stick to the word of God. Return to the word of God. And you won't be led astray by the lies of the false prophets and fake priests even in our day. You won't love them nor their message and hate those who say God's message like the man in the kings, like the the king during the time of the kings, you'll love God and his truth and you'll be saved. But only through Jesus Christ can this happen in your heart because only Jesus Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law of God, stood in your place as if he was a lawbreaker so that you could be seen by God as a law keeper, righteous and holy. And on that last day, 
you won't have to fear judgment because judgment's already been poured out on Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray, of course, help us. Help us to be saturated with the truth so that we can see clearly the lies of the enemy, see clearly the lies of those influenced by the enemy, deceived by the enemy, who are trying to deceive us. Lord, keep us, keep us walking in the truth up until the last day, up until our last day, so we can be those people you want us to be and be that church you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.